following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So today I ask you uh, to read with me out of 1 Peter. I'm actually going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 12 today. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your life, through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about these graces, this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So today as we look into this uh, this scripture, I want to put in the context of of 1 Peter. So last week, as, as I shared earlier, we talked about our identities. That we are, by the foreknowledge of God, we are sanctified by the Spirit unto the obedience of Christ. That is our, our identity. That is who we as Christians are. And it's a, each one of those components is very, very important because it brings in our relationship to God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. We, we see who we are in those three contexts, and that defines who we are. Now, this is important because we really can't go in and talk about a spiritual life. We can't go in and talk about a moral life unless we know what our identity is. So that's step one, discover our identity. Step two is to address the context we're currently in. Now, this is an important, uh, important characteristic of this scripture in that it, before we even get out of chapter one, we address our current context before we go into the morality of first Peter. And I think Peter did this very, very intentionally. He wanted to make sure that morality did not come as a precursor to our spiritual faith. He wanted to make the point 
that our faith, that, that, that how we are in our context really defines uh, the moralities that we would live out later on in, in Peter. Now, uh, today, as I bring this to you, I, I, I want to be very honest with you. This has been an extremely convicting scripture for me to prepare because it's all about attitude. It's about the attitude of suffering and how should we suffer? And so as, as we look through the scripture, I want to bring out three uh, attitudes of endurance that first Peter proposed uh, to, to this early church that was suffering, that they were hurting, they, they were persecuted, they were poor, they were exiles, they, they, they were uh, outsiders because of their faith. And outside of just being outsiders because of their faith, they were also outsiders because they were from a foreign place. These, these people were suffering as foreigners. Now, one of the things that I had to deal with before I went, dove into this uh, scripture is I had to figure out in my own life, what's, what's suffering and what's inconvenience? I think there's a difference. I think getting a hangnail is, is inconvenience. Uh, I think that there is suffering directly tied to our living out our faith, which is what Peter is addressing here. And then there's suffering that's just a byproduct of life. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have these attitudes in that, but they, they come from a different source. And what Peter, one of the things that Peter is, is trying to, one of the points he's trying to make in this passage is that if your attitude and your context comes from your faith, then you can endure all those things that life might uh, put upon you. That, that idea of endurance that we see a lot in, in Peter, this, this idea of a, a joyful uh, moving forward in a difficult place. Now, after we talk about uh, this current context, we'll go in in future weeks and really talk about then, therefore, how to to live well. And I don't want to ruin those future sermons or or take any content away from that. So I'm going to try and let those issues be addressed in the future chapters. And I'm going to try and keep this to just uh, this context of, of our current context. Now, ethics are, are not based on, uh, for us as Christians, ethics are not based on the standard of this world. It's important to establish that, that our, that our ethics are based on a, a faith given to us by a good father that loves us and wants us to endure. And he promises that endurance must happen. He promises that we will suffer because of our faith. One of the key points from last week is if you are not suffering, there's something wrong. It's very, very clear in Scripture that those who persevere in the name of Jesus Christ will suffer. And so as we went through and we we grappled with that, as I grappled with that this last week, it it honestly brought up a lot of gripes. (laughs) It brought up a a lot of pain that I didn't necessarily want to deal with. It, It brought up a lot of context that I felt like maybe God wasn't quite doing his part on. And then I dove into this passage and it was made very, very clearly that my attitude was a sinful attitude. My attitude was not one that, that, that uh, was what God would want from me. Peter is writing to exhort me, the church, us, to live, to, to not just survive, but, but to live in Christ. And so the first attitude that I want to bring up is the attitude of humility. As this passage, verses uh, 3 through 12, gets started, the first thing that Peter does is he brings, he, he gives praise to God the Father. He praises him. He, he talks about who he is. He says that by his great mercy, we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. 
Praise be to God the Father who is blessed because he has given us new birth. This new birth is a result of his mercy which grows into a living hope. That hope is defined as inheritance. Peter is not taking credit for this himself. Peter, Peter is very much so saying that this attitude is not something that I am going to do. This not, attitude is not something that I expect you to do in and of yourself. This attitude is something that I expect that we give glory about. That this is something that comes from a gracious heavenly father that loves us. He, he gives away any, any pride that might be in his heart, saying that this is not my message. Praise be to God. And I think that's where we have to start. In our lives, as we're going through and we're understanding the context we're in, where I want you to start is I want you to start in a place of humility. A place of understanding that God is in control. A place of understanding that, that we uh, must give honor to our Heavenly Father. Now, there, there's a flip side to this coin, which is quite nice. The circumstance that you're in, if you are following God, if you are passionately pursuing Him, and you are suffering, it's not your problem. It's God's problem. We should bless Him for that. Peter is looking at this saying, Thank you, God, for all these suffering, persevering, exiled people. Praise God for the life that they are able to live as exiles. And so as we start into this today, that's where I want to stay. Praise God for who we can be because of his great grace. Praise God for the faith that we all enjoy as a church. Praise God for for the body of Christ that we have to share this burden with. We are blessed And we should give that praise and that glory to God. We should start in a place of humility. The next attitude of endurance that we find is is joy. Despite their suffering. Joy is a is a is a common theme in the New Testament and scripture in general, but, but certainly in the New Testament, um, as, as the early church was getting started, a lot of the, the writers wanted to make sure that joy was at the forefront, uh, not happiness, but joy, this, this deep inner sense. And, and it's, it's something that we, uh, we see quite frequently. Acts uh, 5.41 says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 9.16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Romans 8.17, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Romans 8.36, Just as, as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death, all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Second Corinthians one seven, and our hope is for is for you. Sorry, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Peter is calling us to joy. Joy because of what God has done. Peter is somebody that has experienced the the depths of faith. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's denied Christ. Is sharing that we should be joyful. 
How many of us have been beaten? How many of us have been put in jail? How many of us have denied Christ? And yet Peter comes to us having experienced the depths of grace, the fullness of grace, having experienced persecution in the most profound ways, comes to us and says, we should have joy. Now, that that's a bit hard to swallow, honestly. It, it, it's a bit hard to come to terms with that, what that truly means. So we praise God for this situation that he's put us in. And then we, we live in joy through the hardships. This idea of endurance, that, that we are joyfully continuing through the circumstance of trial that God has put us in. An attitude of joy. This is uh, very consistent with a, with a common theme in the New Testament uh, of this, this idea that Jesus is, is going to regenerate his people. Matthew 19, 28, it says, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This idea that Jesus has come to restore us. That we should know who we are, starting from the beginning again. That that because of the foreknowledge of God, we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we should act with an attitude of humility and pursue life with an attitude of joy. This is the standard that Peter is calling us to. I don't know about you, but at this point in time, I'm feeling a little inadequate. I'm feeling a lot like that even the act of preparing the sermon is, is something that I have to struggle in my heart. This is an attitude that I struggle with. I don't stand before you today, somebody that has this figured out. I stand before you today, somebody that, that is convicted That there are times when I gripe and I complain about the great blessings that God has given. As I shared last week, we get to put a new engine in our car this week. Hooray! If I truly had this attitude, that's what would have come from my mouth. Boy, I'm excited to see how God works in this situation. But that isn't how I responded. I thought, woe is me, why is this happening to me? I'd really love to find something else to do with 40,000 bots. But my attitude was not one of joy. My attitude was not one of humility. In fact, my attitude was one of pride, thinking that somehow that's my money to start with, somehow that that's my car to begin with. If I truly had this attitude of humility, then I would have responded very differently. And I'm convicted by that. And I invite you as a church to be convicted with me. To search in your life where our attitudes of of humility and joy are failing. I can't count how many times here uh, some small thing has gone wrong and I've just thought, God, when are you going to send me home? When's it going to happen? The first time I came to Thailand, I came out for a year. God had other plans. During that year, I got married. And then I stayed for like two years. And then I I came back 
and, and, and we're just coming back for another year, maybe two tops, right? Cause all we had to do was just, we, we were just going to make our mark and then we were going to continue on and I was going to go get a real job. And so then we're five years in and then we just came back for two more years. And I remember coming back and there, there was a really important transition that happened between that second and third time home where I realized it's not home. Home is where God has me. Home is the place that I am. And it doesn't really matter what I think about that because if I have an attitude of humility where I've given up my pride and I've decided God is in control, then wherever he puts me should fill me with joy. Once I learned that, life honestly got a little bit easier. I started to come to terms with where God had me. I started to find joy in the place that I was. I started to find joy in, in the ministry. And it's not that I didn't enjoy my work. It's not that I didn't enjoy my ministry, but I was always looking forward to the next thing. And God said, stop looking forward to the next thing. Just enjoy what's here. Be humble. Know that I've got you. And enjoy what I have for you. That made a massive difference in my mindset, my, my longevity in this ministry. And as we came back from that time, we, we settled. We kind of resettled. We, we found a place to, to, to put down roots. We, we in, invited community into our lives. We got more plugged in, which, believe it or not, okay, as being a pastor of this church for what, almost nine years now, I actually found a way to get more plugged in at that point in time. So it, it can happen. You can go from staff to even more staff. It's, it's possible. And God blessed that. He blessed that. I found that the ministries that I involved in flourished more. That, that people understood me better, that my communication was clearer, that I was able to share the gospel in new and different ways, that I was able to engage people in new and different ways because I had dealt with the humility issue in my life and I had begun to find joy. The last section is, is quite powerful. And honestly, I had to read it a few times before I got it and I still really didn't get it. So then I read a couple of commentaries and, and then I listened to a sermon and, and I... I think I finally understand what the third section is talking about. We are to live in confidence. We are to take a a gospel-centered pride in where God has put us. Now, that's not a me-centered pride. That's not a sinful pride exciting about the things that I do. That's a pride in our glorious Heavenly Father. It's really the only way to have a humility and pride at the same time. Because the only way to have pride in a humble way is to have pride in somebody else, in something else. And even in those contexts, there's still a lot of ways to make that sinful. But in the case of God, if we are truly taking pride in what God is doing in Thailand, in our families, in our homes, in our ministries, then we can act in this attitude of confidence Verse 10. I I just have to read this again. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more, more about when they prophesied about his gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering 
and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. As I read this and I processed it and I spent time on it and I absorbed it, I got this this message. Nate, how lucky are you? You get to enjoy something that that people thousands of years ago could just imagine, could just prophesy about. But you in this time, in this place, you get to enjoy a peace, a comfort, and a savior. You get salvation. Nate, do you understand what you have? That's the message here. Do we understand what we have available to us? This is something that was only prophesied about, that these these prophets would come and they were just told this message is not for you, it's for the next group. That, That had to be a challenging message. To suffer at that time with a message of hope and glory and know that it wasn't for you. That it was for the future. How fortunate are we to enjoy a grace and a mercy as deep and as filled as the one that God has given us. This is something that I think we take for granted. I think the church, small C, big C, me and my life, us as pastors, as a fellowship, as a congregation, I think this is a key aspect of the Christian faith that we take for granted. We forget how amazing it is that we have a Savior that loves us. That's the point that Peter's making here. Hey, you exiled people suffering for Jesus, don't you know how good you have it? Because you have faith. Because God has given you purpose. Because he has come into your life and he has transformed you. Don't you know how good you have it? I struggle with that. I struggle oftentimes with still thinking the grass is greener on the other side. That maybe just when I get over this, this next hump, this next hurdle, to the other side of the wall, whatever this next thing is that I'm struggling with, that things will be better then. And Peter is saying, stop. Enjoy what you have. Don't you know how fortunate you are? Don't you know what amazing gift this is? We should have confidence in this amazing gift that we've been given. We should not take for granted the amazing blessing that our loving Father gave us. So once again, as I put this all in a string, that we, in our identity, with the foreknowledge of God the Father, He knows us. He knows who we are. He understands us. He understands everything about us with His foreknowledge. By the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, that gift that He gave that blessing of of salvation and cleanliness, we are given to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we are to do that obedience with attitudes of humility and joy and pride in what God has done in our lives.
So if the standard wasn't yet high enough, we've just notched it up again. Peter is asking for perfection. Isn't that a little disappointing? (laughs) But the nice thing is that Peter also tells us how to obtain that perfection. He tells us that it is about this right attitude. It is about our identity in God. It is about our sanctification in the Holy Spirit. It is about our obedience to Jesus Christ. And this is how he sets up the book of Peter. So if you had any excuses going into this, you should have none now. All of the wait, but what if, and I'm an exception, all those things to the coming issues that Peter is going to deal with, he's saying they don't matter because we've identified who you are. We've identified, we've made clear what your identity is. We've made clear what my expectation of your attitude is. And then now, how should should we live? Peter is a is a well contended book in theological circles because it makes points. It makes statements about family, about kids, about church, about elders, about leadership, about men, about women, about relationships, about marriage. It makes points. And there's a battle going on to degrade those points because people don't come to him with the attitude that's prescripted. It's easy to read Peter and say, wow, that's what it says about men. That makes me really uncomfortable. I don't think I really like that. Let's assume it means something else. That is not the attitude of humility, the attitude of joy and the attitude of pride in what God has done. And when we pursue books like Peter with this broken attitude, what we do is we end up wishing things into it. And we end up extracting things that we don't like. We end up deciding that culture, this is a good argument, culture has gone beyond that concept now. That doesn't really apply to who we are now. We're a modern church. That is not a point of humility. That is not an attitude of humility. That is an attitude of pride, a pride of my understanding and the theology that I speak into Scripture versus what Scripture speaks into me. And so as we go into this book, I am convicted. And I invite you as the congregation to walk with me and the other elders and the other speakers as we go through this. And we talk about the, what it means to live a godly life. And I pray a sense of humility over this congregation. That we would hear the words that Peter is saying. Not the words that we want to hear, but the words he's saying. So what does this ultimately mean? That's that's quite a high standard. Now, what do we do? That's the question, right? When we come away from this, what do we do? Well, the quick answer is you just have a better attitude. Go. Since that'd be a terrible sermon, I brought points. Because I think we can can work together as the congregation, as, as the body of Christ, to do better. I think we can be better. If at any point in time you feel like CCF is getting in the way 
of you pursuing a knowing relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and talk to me about that. We do not want to be a church of programs that drive our theology. We want to be a church of vision, a church of purpose, a church of humility, a church of pride in what God has done, a church of joy. We do not want to be a blockade to who God has called you to. And if we are encouraging that, please come talk to me. That is not who we want to be. So what do we do? The first thing I think we do is we seek accountability. For me, myself, personally, I know that this is a struggle. I know that given myself, knowing myself that I will fail, that I will not be able to meet this standard because my selfishness will crowd in and it will push that standard out. And so what we need to do is we need to put ourselves in accountability in the body of Christ. Now, that that means a lot of different things. And certainly every one of us from a different country and denomination looks at that differently. But ultimately, there is a common thread. Are you accountable? A lot of times we get wrapped up in this idea that, that God has called us to be autonomous. That our ministry should be autonomous. Well, there is some value in that. If that autonomy, if that, that, that is driven by a pride of me and what I think and my ideas and the way that I should do it because I'm intelligent, then there's a problem with that. I think we should be humble in, under the accountability of another person. So that means men's groups. It means women's groups. It means youth group. It, it means uh, coming to church. It means getting out of bed on Sunday morning. Congratulations, you've all passed the first test. You got up. You came to church. You officially put yourself under some level of accountability. You've, you've sat yourself down and you've decided, you know what, no matter how much of a lunatic this guy might be, I'm going to at least give him the time of day and I'm just going to listen. And you might even disagree with it, but maybe you're going to go chew on it. And maybe you're going to process it. You've intentionally placed yourself in a position where God can speak to you through the word. And for that, well done. That is one of the components. And that is necessary. That is a component of who the church should be. We should be accountable to scripture. We should be accountable to leadership, to people placed in our lives. Now, because of our culture and our context, I understand I don't know each one of you personally. None of our pastors know each one of you personally. We would love to do that. By the time we get done with that process, you're all going to be gone. And there's going to be a whole new group and we start over again. This summer, 64 families will be leaving CCF, at least temporarily. 64. There's only about 100 families in the whole congregation. 64. If you're waiting for me or one of the other pastors or one of the other elders to come and to tell you to join some layer of accountability or to reach out to you, you could be waiting a long time. That's not how I would like it to be. 64 families. That's, that's a lot of people. If I had one family over to my house every single week for a year, I wouldn't even make it through every family in the congregation. So instead of using that as an excuse, I encourage you to take the initiative. Put yourself in a group of accountability. 
put yourself in a group in some place where somebody can tell you if you're doing it right. They can look into your life and they can call out your pride. I've heard this several times. Well, I would join a men's group, but really, at this point in time, I'm in my mid to late 50s. What could a men's group offer me? Everything. Right there, that in and of itself is the pride of you assuming that God cannot work through that context. And I encourage you to flee from that. Flee from that. Put yourself in accountability. Initiate it. Figure it out. Find somebody. You want to know how it happened for us? Quite honestly, they're, they're here, so I'll, I'll tell them. I literally said, we need friends. We need accountability. We don't really know each other very well. We're going to be friends. It was literally like that, right? Wasn't it? I just sat John down and I said, John, we're going to be friends. We just are. And he looked at me like you're all looking at me now, which I get frequently, like you're crazy. But you know what? He agreed. And we started meeting week after week after week after week. And our family started meeting week after week after week after week. And we're now, what, five, six years in now. And we have met fairly consistently every week for years. And and our our lives have gone further than just, just Bible study. We live life together. We have accountability. Many times John has sat me down and said, Nate, you're an idiot. You did this wrong. And he can give me that perspective because he's also one of our staff. And so several times I've made a decision and he sat me down and said, Nate, what are you thinking? And I've been convicted in that. But it would not have worked if I wasn't willing to humble myself to that accountability. I invite you into accountability. Pursue that accountability. Find it. Be aggressive in obtaining it because it's valuable. If you're waiting for this community to just happen upon you, it's not going to happen. Be in accountability. Initiate. Now, for those of you just saying, hey, this guy, he's clearly an extrovert. This is normal for him. I'm not. I'm not actually an extrovert, believe it or not. God has not gifted me that way. It took a lot of effort, a lot of of gumption to get up the, the confidence to sit down and make that request. It was not easy. Seek accountability rather than autonomy. If you're seeking to live out your own life and that's your theology, that God has called you and you alone and that you're going to be by yourself then you've got a lot of hardship in your future and very few people that are going to help you speak into that. Next, I think we need to seek service. This idea, and Peter actually covers this quite thoroughly. Be in service to others. Be in service. Find ways to just give. It is really hard to have a prideful attitude when you're giving what you have. By giving what you have, you're making a statement of of the fact that God owns that thing. Open your homes to people. Invite them in. Somehow serve. Be in community while serving. Sign up for Sunday school this summer. Sign up to teach a group. We would love to have somebody lead a women's ministry in this congregation. That's been a real struggle. 
We haven't had anybody coming through, come through with a passion that's been able to do it consistently over a long period of time. We would love somebody to come in and serve in that capacity. Maybe Sunday mornings really are just the thing that sets you over the edge and maybe serving is, is just too much for you on Sunday morning. Great. What are you doing during the week to be part of the body of Christ? And I don't mean your job. We all get paid to do our jobs. The fact that we're here and we say we do service all week and that's my job and so therefore I don't have to do it on Sunday morning is not any more true than if you were a steel worker in Canada and you did your job all week and then showed up to church and said, I've been doing my job all week. I don't have to do it on Sunday morning. It's ridiculous. Do something. See, I get to say these things. Tim would not probably say these things. <laughs> that's service. And this idea that we're exhausted, so therefore we should serve less, is not a great mentality. Now, you should create boundaries, absolutely. And Matt Mayich, someplace, I don't know if he's here today, he, he teaches a wonderful class on boundaries. I would encourage you to take it. Take boundaries. But don't, don't assume that you being, being burnt out is a product of you serving God too much. Being burnt out is a product of you serving yourself too much. God will not call you to something beyond your capability. If we are burnt out as a church, it's not because we're serving God too much. The theology doesn't work. The idea that God would allow us to be burnt out doing his work doesn't make any sense. He calls us to joy and humility and purpose. Now, we might be doing ministry, But that doesn't necessarily mean we're serving God. And I am a huge failure in this area. I have been burned out many times in my life. And it's not because I'm serving God more. It's that I'm serving my job more. I'm serving my ministry more. We need to serve. We need to create boundaries. We need to be part of the body of Christ. I'm feeling I'm getting a lot of emails from this particular sermon. Please write them. I'd love to sit down and talk with you about it. Serve. Serve, 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 serve. But serve God. Don't serve yourself. Serve God. Another area where we commonly make this mistake is we serve, 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 serve our families and we burn out. Serve God. We serve our ministries and we burn out. Serve God. That is the solution. It's, a, it's a, an impossible solution, <laughs> but it is the solution. And part of the ways we do that is we put ourselves in accountability. Somebody that can say, Nate, are you, are you beyond your own control? Are, are, are you uh, beyond the boundaries that you've placed? Are you serving yourself or are you serving God? Some of us have spouses that do that for us. Are you humble enough to sit under the accountability of your spouse? Later on in Peter, we get to talk about the exciting roles. Fortunately, I don't have to preach either of those sermons, but the role of women in marriage and the role of men in marriage. I somehow got out of both of those. Thank goodness. But those people are currently studying and pursuing those passages and figuring out what God has in those passages. And I, I encourage you to participate in that. Are you willing to be under the accountability of your spouse? Are you willing to serve your spouse? And then the third thing I think we need to do is I think we need to give thanks. We need to just give God the glory. I honestly believe in my soul that if I were under healthy accountability, serving God with every day of my life, 
whether that meant my family or my ministry or up here on Sunday morning or whatever that means, if I was serving and I was under the accountability and all I could do was just bubble up inside and give God praise for what he's doing, I think that my ministry would be healthier. I think that my life would be healthier. I think I would be able to endure better. But the cycle has a problem if we get to the end and we say, wow, look what I have done. Say we do master that wonderful sense of accountability and we do go and serve and serve and serve and serve and then we get to the end of the week and we think, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry, but you've still missed it. When that car breaks and you think, ugh, what an inconvenience. That's an unachievable attitude without Christ. I'm not calling you to this because I honestly don't think it's possible as humans to do. I think it's only possible in Christ's strength. I'm not telling you to do this in your own morality, and your own strength. I'm telling us as a congregation that this is what we should seek. This is from me. This is my heart. This is where I feel incapable. It's an impossible standard without first understanding our identity. Do you see the pattern here that Peter is setting up? Yeah, we're going to talk about what it means to live a Christian lifestyle. We're going to talk about the things that that includes. But first, did you know that you were chosen by the foreknowledge of God, the Father who loves you? Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, a good gift from a Father that loves you. Called unto the obedience of Jesus Christ and his teachings. That's who you are. And if you act daily, strive to pursue Christ in in an attitude of humility, in an attitude of joy, in an attitude of confidence in what God has done, that you will endure joyfully. That's the standard. And if we're falling short of that, which I'm sure every person in this room is, we still have some work to do, but not in our own power. Get off that bandwagon. Get off that cycle of trying to do more. Pursue Christ. By serve God, I don't even mean necessarily do anything. If God is calling you to serve him by not doing something, that's fine. And I even love, if somebody comes up to me on Sunday morning and tells me that as their reason why they're not volunteering, I love that. God has asked me to take a break. That's okay. Because you're not serving yourself in that, you're serving God. And there's a big difference. Who are you in Christ? What is your attitude? Not just when things are good, but really the, the, the readout is what is your attitude when things are going bad? That's how you know. Once you've figured that out, let's talk about how to live a godly lifestyle. Let's talk about how to be the body of Christ. I invite you as a congregation to join me in that. Join the other elders in in that. Join the pastors in that. That's what the body of Christ is about. That's what it means to be fed. That's what it means to be part of this community the body of Christ. And if you're looking for something else, you're not going to find it here. At least I hope you don't. 
because that's where Christ is found. That's where obedience is found. That's where the character of God is found. There's so much in there. It's so rich. It's so plentiful. It's so purposeful. There's so much. And so I invite you as the congregation to join me as we go through this, to be convicted, not be preached at, but to be convicted as a body of Christ with me, with the others, that we would be convicted as a church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would humble us. Lord, these are hard words. They are painful words. They are words of conviction. They are words that go against who we want to be in our flesh. But Lord, I pray that you would give us humility to speak them, to receive them, to speak them to others. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in this place, that we would not be a body of Christ that is dead because we pursue ourselves and our own glory and our own things, but Lord, that we would pursue you, that we would serve you, that you would confirm our identity in you. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you have promised us amazing things. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be our focus that you would be our focus, that your gospel, your salvation would drive us. Lord, I commit this congregation for you. I, I, I feel deeply in my heart, Lord, I desire for us to be that body of Christ in a practical sense, in a spiritual sense. Lord, that we would love you and love you well. So, Lord, as we worship today, I pray that we would do it with attitudes of humility, with attitudes of joy, with attitudes of confidence in what you have already accomplished. That idea that we can take pride in your great creation. So Lord, we commit this time to you and we pray that it would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.